Um, Dr. Tipton Tendarla is a professor at the Rhode Island School of Design, as well as the University of Rhode Island. He teaches about peace and nonviolence, um, as well as Tibetan Buddhism. He was formerly a monk with the Mystical Arts of Tibet Tour and a Drepung Losling monk for over 20 years before he switched gears and is now a professor. Um, he's PhD'd. He has a great wealth of knowledge. He's going to speak to y'all about the mandala itself, but certainly if you have any questions, save those for the end. He'll answer any questions you might have. Okay? So please welcome to Tenderla. Maybe. Okay, now. Okay. <laughs> okay, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, thank you. Uh, yes, my name is Tupten. I'm here with the Mystical Arts of Tibet monks from Dipung Monastery. And uh, so it's great, great pleasure um, to be with you. And thank you very much for coming and for your interest. I would like to share a little bit about the symbolism of mandala, okay? So um, I will start with what is a mandala and I will talk about what does it symbolize. Also, I will talk a little bit about different types of mandala. Uh, maybe I will talk a little bit about this specific sand painting that we are doing here and also um, We'll talk about the purposes of construction, constructing sand mandala and some of the um, you know, symbols that you will see within the mandala and I will summarize what we talked today. Does it sound okay? All right, great. All right, thank you. So um, symbolism of mandala and that's our, uh, our overarching topic today and what is a mandala, okay? So what is a mandala? The term uh, for, uh, in Tibetan for mandala is called kilkor, okay, kilkor. So which represents, which says center and the surrounding. There is a center and the surrounding. And so as you see what is being constructed here, you can see a diagram that will be a circle and there is an innermost circle. Okay, so this uh, mandala is a sacred cosmogram. You say it's a sacred uh, cosmogram that represents the universe in its divine form, universe in its pure form. Okay, and so it depicts the purity of our world, the purity of nature, and so it's um, you know. Um, in essence, that's mandala. We will talk more about the uh, also, you know, its symbolism in specific. For example, um, um, you know, there is external as well as internal symbolisms. For example, like externally, it's a symbol of the divine world, world as a physical, you know, a place in its divine, its great form. But also internally. Uh, for the practitioners, it's a map for spiritual development. 
spiritual, you know, achievements. And so that's an internal guide, internal map. Okay, and uh, so this represents eternity, the wholesome and goodness, and that's what um, you know mandala symbolize. All right, and uh, oh, I forgot to mention that at any point, if you you know have any question, feel free to raise your hands, or you know, so that we can go from there as well. Okay, all right. So now. Um, you might have heard about it, or you might have seen different types of mandala, right? So, um, how many of you have seen a Zen mandala before? Some of you, yes, wonderful. Okay, so those of you who are first come, I mean first time here, enjoy it. It's a um, a form of you know uh, mandala we uh, commonly known as Zen mandala, right? And there are also mandalas that are um, you know, created with wood carvings, right? Carved wood mandala. There are mandalas constructed uh, or painted with oil paintings and so on. There are different techniques, different methods people or practitioners use to construct mandalas. Okay, so there are different types of mandalas. All right, so focusing to what we are seeing today, what we are hearing, our venerable monks from Dipung Losling are constructed, constructing here is a sand mandala. So from this type of mandala, it's a sand mandala, and it's a Akshobhya uh, Buddha, Akshobhya mandala. So Mitupa, the Tibetan name, uh, Mitupa, which, which uh, says that uh, indestructible positive energy or indestructible positive power, okay? So um, what it says is that, uh, of course, in our daily life in the world, we see lots of challenges, lots of difficulties, lots of obstacles, yet, uh, you know, we, there is still potential and uh, there is still possibility for us to maintain our peaceful energy, peaceful, you know, uh, positive um, power, and that is uh, what is about Akshobhya, Mitopa, in order to um, maintain this uh, indestructible positive energy and positive power. So that's what you are seeing, what we are seeing here, uh, monks are constructing here. So um, you might wonder about designs, you might wonder about the colors, you might wonder about the, you know, the instruments that our monks are doing, uh, using here. And so the um, design uh, of, and also, you know, there are different types of mandala, as I should, you know, mention, is that, it, for example, there are mandalas that are to represent our love and compassion. There are also to, you know, represents, uh, you know, wisdom and, and uh, other uh, values, okay, and so there are different types of mandala. From this uh, specific is something to do with indestructible positive energy, positive power, and so the design is uh, prescribed in the traditional or we can say ancient Buddhist uh, text or scriptures, okay. So the monks have already memorized and and so they are 
using the same design prescribed um, in the scriptures. And uh, so it takes, uh, as you can imagine, it takes many years to learn and also to, you know, uh, practice. And so they have uh, learned for many years. And uh, all, not just for knowledge, but also for their, you know, the skill and also the application, the meaning behind, you know, uh, why, uh, what and why to construct a mandala. Okay? All right. Okay, so um, we see, if you can see on the left side of me, on the table, there are many small balls, right? And uh, they each represent different, uh, each ball is filled with different colored sands, sand. And so monks traditionally um, ground um, rocks or marble uh, to produce the sand and they use, um, you know, food color to, um, to color, uh, to produce different color scents. And so now as they use this uh, tool called chakpur, one with metal funnel and the other with a small uh, kind of, uh, uh, small, smaller tool to rub, so they produce the vibration through which um, the sands, uh, grains of sand fall down on this table. And you can say that you have seen a mandala constructed with million of, millions of sand grains, right? So you can see as one rubbing takes hundreds of grains, small grain of sand. And so over the days, we'll see the full circle, which will be a composite of million, millions of grain, sand grain. Okay. All right. So um, this is about this particular mandala that uh, our monks are doing here. And uh, so again, uh, there are different types of mandala to represent different energies, different purposes. And this one represents indestructible positive energy, positive power. Okay. All right. Okay. So. Um, There are also different uh, meanings of mandala or different purposes of mandala depending on whether you are seeing a mandala, whether you are sharing a mandala, or you, whether you are constructing mandala by yourself. Okay? So there are different meanings based on uh, how you utilize it. Um, for the you know, traditional, original purposes of constructing a Sen mandala, is to bring mental transformation within the practitioner, okay? That is, as the uh, monks construct uh, this mandala, they have visualization, they have profound thinking, uh, concentration and so on, um, th you know, most of which are to deal with their own thoughts, emotions and so on, to transform their, um, you know, undeveloped or trans uh, transform their own energy into something more positive, okay? So that's, you know, for practitioners, it's a, a sort of a mental transformation uh, practice, okay? And, uh, of course, with this, it comes uh, different, uh, both different visualizations and... Uh,
So therefore, we can say that it is a form of spiritual journey. Okay, so it's a as you as they construct Saint Mandala from one part, uh, working from innermost part towards outer side, they have sophisticated uh, visualizations and thought processes, which are um, transforming, transporting their mind from one level to another. So that's a spiritual journey, okay? And uh, so, um, so what is the purpose of that spiritual journey, right? <laughs> so why do they do that, right? So most of many practitioners, they um, embark on this spiritual journey because they want to realize the best of themselves. Okay, they want to become the best human being they could or even becoming an enlightened one. And that's the, the main goal, the main purpose of, you know, uh, of reaching the best uh, of oneself. That's not just for oneself, but also when we are good, when we are positive, when we are, you know, something constructive, we can also be beneficial and helpful to many others. Right? So it is related to the well-being of others as well. Okay? All right. So, um, and, uh, you know, now um, with the uh, blessings of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, uh, many of the Tibetan monks um, come to share the construction of mandala, which is traditionally um, an individual spiritual practice. Now, the purpose of that sharing is, of course, for mutual understanding and also for, you know, sharing the positive energies and positive thoughts that comes with, they, they believe, mandala creates um, and brings uh, to wherever they practice this. Okay, so it's, a, you know, here it's also a form of sharing uh, positive energies and positive thoughts uh, for the goodness of all. Okay, so, um, all right, so that's, um, uh, that's uh, one uh, particular thing, um, why they are coming to share sand painting, a spiritual practice outside of monastic community. Okay, all right. So, uh, how many of you have seen some of the symbols in the mandala? Yes, yes. Okay, all right, so there are um, many symbols, including one Vajra that is in the middle innermost circle, and then right now they are working outward, we can see uh, um, eight auspicious symbols, including, you know, lotus flower and, and um, you know, the eternal knot and so on, all right, so there are eight auspicious symbols that they are working right now, and towards the uh, for directions and so on. So there are various uh, symbols, including the eight auspicious symbols, uh, that represents again various elements of our own mind. Okay, of for example, to represent the wisdom, to represent the compassion, to re you know represents um, achievements and so on. So there are various symbols that you will. Um, if you come back again, as you see the progress of the mandala, 
you will be uh, glad to see many more symbols and, and developments to come. Okay. All right. Okay. So, um, in any questions so far? I will give, we will get more, um, you know, opportunity later, but if you have any, any questions, just feel free to raise your hands. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, good. So, you know, mandala, as we discussed, has, you know, for the spiritual practitioners or for the uh, monks, it is a spiritual practice that, you know, they uh, strive uh, in order to achieve the best of themselves. Uh, and, and that is uh, not because of uh, selfishness, but because uh, not because they want to be better than others, right? <laughs> it is because they want to become the best so that they can be helpful, constructive, and beneficial for all sentient beings, they say. All right? So it is related to what is called great compassion. Compassion uh, that is that sincerely wishes um, everyone to be free from suffering and not just wishing but also uh, taking um, part or initiating efforts in uh, solving suffering, including, um, you know, um, transforming their own energies and so on. All right? So that's what we talk about, uh, the spiritual uh, practice for them. And also um, sharing here is to share positive thoughts and emotions um, besides, you know, art form um, for... Uh, for uh, for mutual understanding and so on. Okay, so, um, all right. So, if I summarize it, if we summarize what we just talked or what we discussed, was that mandala is a sacred form of art uh, that is used to contemplate and meditate. Okay, so can I see... How many of you practice meditation before? If you can raise your hands. Okay, very good, very good. Okay, thank you. So, as you have practiced meditation, and as you know, during meditation, we try to um, be mindful of our thoughts, our behavior, or our verbal actions, and so on. Basically, we are trying to deal with our own mind and transform it into something more positive to calm it down so that, you know, it becomes more uh, constructive, right? So, you know, that is the uh, sort of say, uh, uh, the practitioners use construction of Zen mandala or mandala as, uh, you know, as a map, as a diagram, cosmogram to contemplate and to meditate with. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, it also, you know, gives us some hope because by constructing a mandala, they are visualizing that they are transforming uh, the world into and you know into its best form. Okay. So that is, it represents the you know the. Uh, it shows that the human beings, including the practitioners, are uh, available, are possible, or potential to 
reach goodness to achieve the purity of life. Okay, beyond any um, afflictions, beyond any difficulties and destructions that we might see in the world. So it represents the human potentials to be positive, to be constructive, and to be good. All right. So and uh, um, so. In essence, it's a spiritual journey uh, for practitioners to achieve nirvana, which is the highest uh, uh, level of uh, freedom from uh, negative emotions, thoughts, any suffering. So this is a spiritual practice to achieve, um, uh, you know, freedom from suffering, pain, or to achieve happiness and well-being for oneself and all, and also to share. This beautiful art form that came from centuries back. All right, so you know that is a little bit about um, uh, Saint Mandala or Mandala Mandala in general. Um, I would love to take some questions from you. Yes, please. Hold on, hold on. Sorry, they're recording it, so you have to talk into the microphone. You mentioned like the symbols in the piece. Do the colors represent anything specifically? Oh, can you hear me? Do the colors in the mandala oh. represent anything? Oh, okay, okay. The colors, yes. Um, you know, you might have you know um, seen the um, different colors in in the um, prayer flags that you know uh, Buddhist monks use, and so uh, that. Color in each prayer flag represents different elements, including, you know, fire or earth or wind and water. So similarly, um, in uh, mandala also uh, sometimes they are utilized to represent certain elements. But also there are different uh, families of Buddha, and so sometimes it uh, each color is associated with different families of Buddha. And of course, when it comes to symbolize, uh, symbol, uh, you know, symbols. For example, you know, conch shells. Uh, traditionally, it comes into white, so they use their white color sand to represent its uh, original color. So you know, it it differs from um, representing an energy element uh, family to the originality of the symbol itself. Any others? Feel free to ask any question. Okay. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, I know you mentioned that there are different types of mandala aside from sand. Do do these like the monks from this temple only do sand, or do they do all like different types of mandala? Oh, great, great. So uh, what um, I was hearing from uh, our venerable monks before is that, I mean, yes, generally they do construct uh, different types of mandala based on the purposes of the, you know, the, um, of our host and of their interest and so on. So they do different kinds of mandala. And I heard that previously they did uh, medicine Buddha mandala, which is to represent healing, healing of 
healing uh, both uh, internally as well as physically. So they do um, mandalas like Medicine Buddha or like Manjushri for wisdom where you know the emphasis is on learning and understanding you know and sometimes there are doing white tara and so on, different uh, green tara and white tara and so on, de um, depending on the, whether the purpose is for longevity or whether the purpose is for enlightened activities and so on. So they do different forms, different types of mandala. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I, I was going to ask, like the, I can only imagine the hours of training it would take. How, like, at what age do monks start thinking about? Oh, I'm gonna go into <laughs> making mandalas. Is this something that starts young? Is this something you come to? Like, how does that process work? Thank you, thank you. Yes. Um, what do you think? Uh, um, at what what at what age someone can become a monk? Ten. Okay. Any other guess? Yes. Fifteen. Okay. Good. Any others? Seventeen. Okay. Very good. Very good. <laughs> right. So actually, there is no specific age, or I should say, age limit for someone to become a monk. Right. So someone who is as young as ten years old. Uh, you know, if himself, and, and also there are nuns, you know, there, right? Tibetan monks or nuns, so it's applied to both. So there is no specific age limit. Someone who is interested in uh, becoming a monk at 10 years old, um, if it is, uh, you know, um, not objected by their parents or guardians, they are able to join. And so, you know, 10 years old, 12 years old, uh, 15 years old, and sometimes the people, I would say majority join in their age 20s, and some comes in 20, 30s, 40s, even 50s and 60s. So there's no specific age limit for someone to become a monk, right? So that's one of the beauty in the monastery, uh, monastic community and learning institute is that in the classroom, you will see you know, monks um, from different age, right? Like 12 years old studying, or classmates with 50 years old, you know. Uh, so all different, uh, diverse uh, age background, different uh, generations, and that's, uh, you know, one part. Uh, but to go specifically about the mandala, and so it is an advanced practice. It is an advanced study. So that means that whoever joins the have, you know, uh, basic or foundational understanding about Buddhist philosophy and practice. So it might already, you know, they might already have been in the monastery for 10 or 12 years before they start to learn about practice and building construction of Zen Mandala. So uh, there are foundational understanding that's needed but then there is no specific age limit. Thank you. Yes. Um, 
What happens after you finish the, the art piece? How do you protect it? Because it's sand and um, is there a specific way for you to keep the art in place? Mm. Okay, very good, very good. Any response from the audience? What do you think? Yes. Uh, I think they, from what I've seen, I think they brush it away and it's like teaches them to like appreciate the beauty of like the now. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Any other? Okay, very good, very good. Thank you. It's very important. And so, you know, traditionally, sand mandalas are, you know, uh, dismantled after the completion. Okay, so the main purpose is to practice and to share and to create some positive energy, positive environment. And when it is accomplished, when it is achieved, then they dismantle the sand mandala using a brush. And so they are gathering all this million of sand grain into one container and to take into a body of water where they give the nature of sand back to the nature. Okay, so that's the purpose. And another purpose is, of course, to, uh, to uh, remind ourselves about the uh, uh, nature of impermanence. All right. So this is a gorgeous, beautiful sand painting that is created uh, by three or four monks at a time for many, many hours. But eventually, it also changes. It's liable to be changed. And so it is to remind ourselves of the uh, impermanent nature of phenomena. Okay. Um, so, but does impermanence scares you? What do you think about that purpose? Any reaction? Yes, please. Um, I, I think it's a nice lesson because nothing, nothing is permanent. No matter how long you think it's going to be around, everything has to go eventually. Mm. Very good. Okay, very good, very good. Okay. 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 Yes. It might also represent how, even though like they dismantle it and take it away, the like impact and the beauty that it had doesn't go away with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good, very good. Thank you. So it contributes to understanding, deeper understanding and realization of, you know, impermanence, impermanent nature of everything or every phenomena, right? But um, the deeper question is, you know, what does it do? How does it impact us when we understand impermanence, right? Any thoughts? Any thoughts about it? Um, sorry. First of all, I do want to say it's beautiful that like to do all that art and put it on all in that effort to make it. Um, especially the idea of like 
you said that you don't want any negative energy. It's the idea of making it spiritually all that positive energy and then to like brush it away and put it into a body of water, you're basically just giving it back to the universe. Although for like us, it's like scary because usually when we make art, you want to savor it. You want to make sure it's like frame, picture it. The impermanence is scary. Um, but it is like, again, beautiful to be able to put the energy back into the universe and be able to share it with other people or just the world in general. Thank you. Thank you very much. And this actually reminded me about, you know, your question back, like, you know, sometimes, occasionally, there are, you know, uh, public uh, places like museums which ask, you know, special permission to preserve uh, the same painting so that more people can view it and get benefit from it. So there are some exceptions of preserving it. Uh, I think one in an uh, uh, Asian Arts Museum in, uh, in uh, um, Texas have... Um, preserve it, and I think one in, in Washington also, a museum there, has uh, asked a special permission to preserve it. So there are some occasions uh, uh, through which um, they save it for, you know, uh, a better uh, benefits, okay? But traditionally, it's uh, dismantled. Yes. Um, does the practice have to be done inside to account for, like, wind that might like move the sand around? Hmm. You mean the... Yeah, so like does it have to be done inside or oh. can it be done outside? Very good, very good. Um, I, yes, so it's mostly yes. Um, there are occasions um, in which, you know, mandalas are constructed inside and then carefully move outside in order to fit more people so that more people can view it and benefit it. And some occasion, um, you know, especially when uh, the um, mandala is smaller, when it can be, you know, completed sooner, uh, it can also be outside. So there are some occasions, but mostly uh, they are built inside so that there is more, um, you know, I mean, the chances to have the completion, completion of the mandala is better when it is preserved inside. Okay, so going back uh, to understanding of impermanence, right? So we were talking about why they dismantle mandala after this beautiful mandala after its completion. And we say that it is to remind ourselves about impermanent nature, right? So, but what for? And what does it do, right? <laughs> so that's, you know, deeper thought uh, thinking, okay? So we can think about ourselves too, and sometimes when we understand that something doesn't last forever, right, then what does, what does that mean to us? <laughs> yes. Um, it's teaching you not to, not to be overly attached to anything because mm -hmm. nothing is permanent. Yes. Yes, very good. So it reminds us to not to to get not too attached to it because it will change. And if we are too attached to something or somebody, when it changes, it brings us pain or suffering. Right. So that is one lesson 
from understanding or benefits of understanding impermanence. Okay. What is the other side? What other points do we have? Yes. Uh, like you would die but get reborn to something new. Okay. All right. So, like uh, you'll be. Okay, very good, very good, yes. And it's a very good point because sometimes, you know, we have different sorts of negative emotions and we get stuck with it, right? And many times depressions or stress or depression is related to that because we cannot see uh, light, after, uh, you know, beyond the tunnel. We are stuck in the tunnel of feeling of loneliness or feeling depressed and so on, right? So. You know, this tells us that when we understand impermanence, it says that you might be feeling negative right now, but it is going to be changed. There will be a new emotion. There will be a different emotion, right? So if we understand that, it gives us hope to uh, and also be resilient with uh, whatever difficulties we are under, uh, experiencing at this point. So this is, of course, one of the great benefits of understanding that what you are undergoing right now is impermanent. It's liable to be changed. Okay. All right. Okay. Any other points? All right. So one thing is that, for example, when we understand our friendship, our value, even you know our own a different thing may not last forever that um, you know reminds us that the that mindful about that situation is um, you know helping us or encouraging us to enjoy the moment okay because the reason is it will not last forever okay you have to enjoy now or it will be gone all right so it teaches us about, you know, enjoying and taking all the opportunities, all the, you know, possibilities that we have right now because we cannot take them for granted. They will be changed. They are liable to be changed. So this brings us more, you know, sort of say, um, uh, that inspire us to be mindful and to be at the moment so that we can enjoy what we have rather than um, regretting about what we have done or fearful about what may become tomorrow. Okay, so it is teaching us to be present, to be at the moment and fully enjoy it, joy, you know, um, and experience the joyfulness of it. Okay, any other thoughts, comments? If you don't mind me asking, what is the original like basis or foundation or, or where did it originally come from? Is it um, simply people's ways of representing their thoughts or do you feel like it was a, that it came from a deity or what, what is the origination of the Mandela? Yes, very good, very good. Okay, so yes, so in the ancient uh, Buddhist texts, which come from India, right, originated from India. Um, after, uh, you know, Siddhartha becoming uh, 
Gautama Buddha or Shakyamuni Buddha. So, um, and his teachings were collected after many years after he passed away. So, that uh, teachings consisted of uh, two main categories, uh, sutra teachings and tantric teachings. And so, many of the teachings in the tantric teachings and texts have, you know, the, uh, the extensive uh, teachings about cosmology, the universe and its existence, uh, and, you know, the humans and other realms and, and beings in other um, universe and so on, right? So, it's interesting, I mean, um, I mean, earlier this year, uh, we saw the first, you know, uh, colored photo or picture of, from, the, you know, the new satellites of, you know, the <laughs> different universe, right? So, previously, we believe that there is only one, and so, from Buddhist scripture, they already mentioned about millions of, you know, um, or they say uh, 100 billion you know, <laughs> stars, or, you know, so on. So, you know, there are the detailed information about the formation and dissolution and, uh, and existence of, you know, different stars, different, uh, say, universe, okay? So, uh, in, in this um, tantric uh, text, they are uh, also mentioning about, so since there are different universes, different uh, worlds, there are beings in different forms. And so one or some of them is the divine form. And so they are deities, they are, you know, uh, um, forms of uh, uh, life who are different from others. So deity, for example, they mention about specific deities that represents different energies, different elements. And so they are mentioned in the ancient Indian uh, Buddhist scriptures about those. And, and the, you know, the representation is to bringing those ideas, those, those thoughts into art form and so that we not only can see it visually, but also we can visualize it and then practice again and again building such things so that they are um, internalizing the qualities, the values that they learn from the scripture. Any other thoughts? Good. All right. Thank you so much for your attention, for your question and contribution. It was very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for thanks for coming. I uh, just remember this afternoon there's another lecture at four o'clock, and um, tomorrow ten a.m. till five p.m. Uh, the work will continue. The work continues on the mandala till. Uh, six tonight, so please come back and check uh, before you go home, see how it looks. And Saturday morning, 1.30 p.m. will be this, the closing ceremony. You can see the completed mandala and then the moment when it is wiped away. So thank you. Thank you all. Uh, I have more of like a personal question, if you don't mind. Uh, since uh, moving to Rhode Island, has your like teachings of the beliefs or like shifted, or have you gained a new perspective, or has it enforced it? You have you like moved away and like like has it influenced any way you handle anxiety or like day-to-day -day activities 
just the different country and uh, routine of this life now. Okay. All right. So, um, if I um, get it correctly, does my experience or understanding uh, impact my feelings or uh, experiences of anxiety or so on? Is that right? Okay. Okay, good, good. Very good question. Um, first of all, uh, you know, from many years of learning and practicing at the monastery, definitely helped me and prepared me when I came out of the monastery to do further studies or to uh, deal with community members as well as students and so on. So it definitely uh, helped me. Uh, but at the same time, my understanding with people from diverse background and different faith also helped me to understand humanity better, right? So that is, you know, to understand that there is so much richness in humanity, you know. What I understand, what I practice is just a small part of the human world, small part of the universe, you know. So, while I see and benefit from what, we, what I learn from my background, but also what I learn from people coming from different backgrounds also immensely impact me. And to see that we are all human beings, you know, common, and we all are trying to, you know, find our place, our method to be happy and to find meaning in our life. So it, it helped me to, you know, so when I understand and look people through that lens, then I say, oh, I shouldn't be, I don't have to be so anxious to talk with other people or meet with people from different backgrounds, or I don't have to be you know, stressful about whether I can finish. And, you know, it is not only me who is experiencing these difficulties or who is achieving this thing. There are many others, human, fellow human beings, who are achieving and also who are having difficulties. So we are experiencing the same thing and um, tying it to the human experience rather than making it too much uh, personalization is helping me to reduce those uh, anxiety or you know, stress or any sorts of uh, uh, fear and negative emotions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all again for coming. We appreciate it.